Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop. Brought to you by learningphotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. Welcome to episode 26 of Talking Shop, the podcast all about Photoshop. This time around, I have an interesting chat with Kara Plichnich talking about Photoshop and type and other good things. I had the opportunity to sit down with Kara Plichnich to talk about Photoshop and particularly things like design and the type side of Photoshop, which is something we don't really talk about that often. We usually talk about photography and working with images. But I think it's also important, as we did, to talk about the world of design and typography when it comes to Photoshop. So before we get into the chat, let me give you a bit of background about Kara. Her official bio says, a camera slinging design geek and Photoshop nerd, Kara's been helping creatives up their game with inspiration and know-how for more than 15 years. When she's not cooking up new tutorials, you might find her among the debris of her craft room, catching up with her favorite late night hosts or training for a marathon. I first met Kara through Creative Live, where she's taught many courses and was very happy that she was able to spend a few moments with me talking about some of our favorite topics. Here's my chat with Kara. All right, Kara, thank you so much for joining me. It's uh, I'm looking forward to this chat because you bring something a little different to the table as far as I'm concerned in the world of Photoshop. Most people are photographers who teach some Photoshop, but you seem to have a background where you've do you've done wedding photography, but you also have a bit of a design twist. So which came first? Were you a designer that started doing photography or <sighs> the other way around or a bit of both? <laughs> I it's hard to say. I'd have to go with both. But So what Yeah. Where did, where did things start for you then? Well, I mean, like I even remember in junior high when we would have to turn in book reports, my favorite part of turning in the book report was, or working on the book report was designing the cover, actually. <laughs> I actually <laughs> would like design this big fancy cover um, for all my book reports. And so I guess that was possibly before the photography. It's hard mm -hmm. to say. I don't know. They kind of go hand in hand for me. And that's one of the things that I think is is interesting is I'm looking at your, for example, I know you've done a lot of classes on Creative Live mm -hmm. and there were a lot that were kind of, I thought were interesting because it wasn't just a class that was like typography, although there was that, but it was more like practical, like making greeting cards or doing wedding invitations. So talk a little bit about that aspect of how you come up with the ideas of taking the Photoshop functions like type and making them a little more interesting than just adding some text? Well, you know, I think as a portrait photographer for so many years running a portrait business, you you wear a lot of hats, of course. And I would often find myself, as many other portrait photographers I'm sure do, being asked to create graduation announcements or wedding invitations and all of those types of things. And of course, there are a plethora of options and templates and things that are available, but for some reason, I just thought I needed to make everything custom for everyone. And so I just really got into that and had a lot of fun with it and was able to even sell some of my different various designs. But that was not what my goal was. It was really to just make something unique for each client. And I had a lot of fun along the way. And I think that as a business owner, you're also developing a lot of 
print collateral or social media collateral to promote, you know, special sessions you might be having or different events, etc. And it's just handy to know how to do that stuff. And so I kind of just got into designing a lot of that for myself and then realizing that a lot of photographers sort of took Photoshop's power for design sort of for granted. And they knew a lot about exposure and tone and all of those types of things, but they had never really studied design as its own thing, the way that they studied photography. Sure. So then I thought, well, maybe I can help people out in this, in this area. Cause I just think it's really fascinating and I don't pretend to be a design guru, know it all, but I just think it's really fun to learn about. And I think a lot of people who use Photoshop don't consider, at least on the photography side, don't consider design as its own separate thing to study. Right. And one of the things that you said along the way that I think is also important is it was like, to me, when I, when I, what I heard you say also was it meant you could provide a range of services to your clients. They didn't have to go looking to other places that you could say, Hey, I can handle it for you. And I think from a business standpoint, that's nice to be able to expand your offering so that you don't have to say, well, here's your photo. Exactly. (laughs) Now now you're on your own. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I wanted them to have the experience of just me taking care of them completely. And so that would often mean, you know, if I'm shooting their wedding, it would mean shooting their engagement, designing their save the dates and or invitations. And I would also usually put together some sort of social media collection for them as well to make it easy for them to share, you know, on wherever online. Sure. Now, one of the things that you mentioned that you you chose to go down the path of just designing something yourself, but you did mention templates. Now, I've I don't think everyone, especially if you haven't really explored the the area of design within Photoshop, are aware of just how many templates there are even within Creative Cloud. I mean, there are some pretty nice templates where you literally double click on a smart object and replace it with your logo and it does some pretty amazing things. (laughs) Yeah, it it can be remarkable. There's a lot of different sources for lots of different templates. And, you know, some of them are are more customizable than others and others are very drag and drop and like, that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's definitely worth something to look at. And, you know, it's a good way to learn too. You can really get a feel for different styles of design that you are drawn to and what works with your brand. And, you know, just by looking into that stuff, you really learn a lot. For a photographer who's thinking, well, I like the idea of expanding my services a bit. Maybe I want to dip my toe into the the water of of design or layout using sticking with Photoshop for now, because obviously there are other tools like InDesign that can expand even further. But what would you what advice would you give to someone, a photographer who's ready to sort of start inching their way into exploring design where it would be a good place to start? Well, good question, I guess. Um, I guess I would start maybe with your lab of choice, your photo lab. Uh, Obviously, there's tons of different options for printing things all across the web. But I think if you have a relationship with a photo lab, that's the best place to start. And take a look at their press products or print products and... I'm assuming that they probably offer all kinds of different folded cards, you know, flat cards, trifolds, special die cut ones, all those types of things. And I would just pick 
I don't know, maybe a couple formats that you think would work well for your clients and the kinds of things that they are asking for. And then see what templates they might already offer because then, you know, it's that's a really easy way to start. But otherwise, they should also have a blank template that would be available to download. And then you can just start messing with it and put together some designs and and see how your clients react. Two, two things that you said there uh, resonated with me. The first is start with the lab because I've had that discussion with many people over the years where they start designing something and then kind of go, okay, now I'm going to go get a printer. I'm like, mm, <laughs> that, yeah, I think you, you probably want to start the other way around, especially these days. I mean, I just was actually today working on some printing and the very first thing I did was look at this online printers website and went right to their template page. Mm-hmm. And it was like, here's where I download the Photoshop specific template that shows me the cut areas, the the safe area that I have to keep my text within. And it just changes everything. It makes it so much easier to design something when you're using the template from that specific company. Because exactly. each company, I mean, here's an example. I was surprised because when I looked at their template, they did everything at 350 pixels per inch. And I thought, oh, that, I, that's higher than I would have expected, but okay, that's right? what they want. And so I've you seen know. some labs that take everything at 250. Mm-hmm. And so you just, you really don't know until you download their their specs or their templates. And I mean, I, I can only imagine that would be the worst thing in the world to me to have uh, made some assumptions, done a whole design and then found oh, it doesn't fit their template because I don't have mine quite high enough resolution. I just spent all this time designing something. I mean, that would be terrible. So I learned that lesson a long time ago that go looking for templates. And even though in this case, I didn't necessarily uh, agree with their choice of some (laughs) of the the decisions like the resolution, I was like, well, you know what? And I've done work with them before and I know it comes back looking the way it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the bottom line. Now, one related topic I was teaching a a class recently and we talked a little bit about printing, but not printing on our own printers, Mm -hmm. going out to a lab like we've been talking about. And I kind of casually mentioned doing the whole thing in Photoshop. And one of the students went, what, what, what? I thought you had to do type in something like InDesign or Illustrator. And I was like, well, you don't have to. I mean, it might be easier if you're doing you know, like a multi-page document, obviously, but sure. I do, I do single page, you know, like cards and invitations and things that all the time in Photoshop. And he was frankly dumbfounded that that was even wow. possible. So um, <laughs> maybe you can help dispel that rumor that, or that the, the theory that some people have that type in Photoshop isn't good enough. Well, I suppose that is completely not the case. Um, but I I would guess that if someone has that misconception, I would guess that it stems from just knowing that Photoshop is a raster-based program. So obviously it's it's working with pixels and photographs. And type, of course, is a vector construct. So people may be thinking that just because they know that Photoshop is raster-based and type is vector. But Photoshop, of course, can actually handle both. And the way that it does that is in your working file and your PSD, then your type vector information is saved and it is eternally editable. But then when you output that file to your print-ready JPEG, 
that text just becomes pixels along with the rest of your image. Right. But but as long as you have the right quality, yeah. very high quality pixels. Yes. Yeah, then it's perfectly, I mean, there's, you're not going to see a difference. There is no difference. You're taking vector type and outputting it for print. So it's just as high quality as anything else. Yeah. I did an, an episode of this podcast a while back that was called something like Dispelling Common Photoshop Myths. And that was one of them that people felt like, you know, like you have to do type elsewhere. And one, and I've, I've been in Facebook group discussions where people were quite adamant that well, unless you do it in Illustrator, and I'm like, you know what? It's the same type engine. I mean, yeah. it's, and it depends, there's no difference. <laughs> you know, like if you're, it depends on who your vendor is. Sometimes when they print things, they do want vector files. So maybe instead of sending them a JPEG, maybe you're saving everything as an EPS file, for example. Right. So, I mean, it's possible that whoever you're outputting your stuff with, you just, like we said earlier, you want to start with their specs and their templates. And so you know what format everything needs to be in. Right. And and part of the reason that I, I harp on it a little bit is that I've had the experience of someone who hesitated to do a fairly simple postcard because in their head, they were going to have to take the three graphic elements from Photoshop and import them into Illustrator, which they'd never really used mm. just to add type. Right. Because that was kind of the impression they got was I have to do the type in Illustrator. So I'm going to have to learn how to use it. And I was like, well, as long as you have the right resolution, yeah. you know, it's, you're not going to lose any quality. And on top of that, now you can start really blending your type with the photograph, which you can't really do if you're doing it in a program like you know, Illustrator right. or InDesign, if you want to mask the type or do some blending or blend if sliders or something very cool like that. So Definitely. that's the other reason why I think it's it's worth reminding people that, yes, you can. You can really do it. I was teaching at Photoshop World and talked about this, and it was funny because I have this card, which is probably like three inches by three inches and at one point in front of this room of a lot of people, I'm like, look, and I was holding up this card as if anyone in the back of the room could actually, I said, okay, maybe come up after the class and look at the card. Right. And you can see that I would challenge anyone to say, oh, that clearly was was printed in this program versus that program. Right. Because, and, and there's a lot we can do with type. I mean, think of some of the things like type on a path, type around objects. I mean, there's, it's not, it used to be, I would say more restrictive. You know, there were certainly things in the past. I maybe ten years ago, I would have gone to Illustrator because there were certain things Photoshop couldn't do. But more and more, or I would say the other way, less and less, <laughs> I, I get the feeling that I I need to do that well, because they, the type of things I want to do, I can. Exactly, and I think for me, the biggest switch that got flipped in that department was when they added the glyphs panel to Photoshop. Because Photoshop has allowed you to adjust kerning and leading and all types of things like that for a quite a while, a long time. But if you wanted to access certain characters that a font or typeface may have, there it straight up was not possible sometimes in Photoshop. So for those mm -hmm. of people who don't know, sometimes when you buy a font, you get sort of bonus characters. So for example, you might have a, a different looking lowercase g that's different from sort of the default lowercase g. You may have like five extra lowercase g's that you could choose from. 
depending on the type that you're setting. And in Photoshop, it wouldn't let you access all of those things. Or some fonts also have swashes and mm-hmm. or dingbats or just cool design little elements that are all vector, just like the type. And you used to not be able to get to anything that you couldn't just type out on the keyboard, you wouldn't have had access to in Photoshop. So right. that's when I would have reached for Illustrator or InDesign or something. And I used to, I mean, not even that long ago, I guess, go to Illustrator or InDesign to create the text. And then I would output that and bring it into Photoshop as a separate Mm -hmm. element. But then, you know, it wasn't editable in Photoshop. So that was a real pain in the butt. So I'm glad to see that they put the glitz (laughs) panel in and now you can do all that in Photoshop. (laughs) Right. And and part of it too, I mean, in this, this person that was adamant about the do your type in illustrators because someone told him once, you know, that, that whole thing where that was the golden rule, however many years ago. And it's, the same thing reminds me of another person that we were talking about printing. And I told him that I print often send either a JPEG or sometimes a PDF file out of Photoshop. And he was like, wait, you don't go, you don't put it into InDesign first. And I was like, um, no, it's funny. How uh, those things stick and it was because head. that's the way 10 years, 15 years ago, a printer told him, make sure you place your EPS file into, and I'm like EPS, like, gosh, I haven't saved as an EPS in, a long time. A long time. Right. It's like the whole idea of, gosh, it's hard to imagine now. I remember when we had to do like clipping paths and EPS files just to have transparency around an object. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, oh, just put it as a PSD file. It's like hard to imagine now. The <laughs> It's all changes. I remember when my photo lab used to, and that was when it was a local lab before you could just upload online to anywhere. But my local lab required that I burn all my files first that I send them as save them as TIFFs and burn them all to a CD or DVD, whatever, and then take it to them. And they would not print a JPEG. And of course, now with like online labs, you can't even upload a TIFF in many cases. Like Mm -hmm. it's all just JPEG. So the pendulum goes back and forth and it does, but I, and I think the ch- obviously the changes are for the better because trying to describe to someone what it used to be like to package a page layout file with all the necessary, make sure all the place files are linked properly and everything, and and God forbid you wanted to have like a, something a photograph with transparency that had like soft edges because that was <laughs> like crazy. Um, so my son has uh, did his degree in in design and now works as kind of a web designer ux designer oh, cool. and even even when he started like eight years ago or something i was explaining to him once as he was doing a project and i said just bring the psd file like turn the background layer off bring it into indesign you'll have transparency and it's like all right okay and i started describing to him about how i used to have to take if i wanted like a faded background i used to have to fake it in photoshop and pick the same pantone color in photoshop <laughs> so it would match the box in and he was just sat there with the looking at me like what are you even saying right now and i'm just like i just I felt like those guys like oh back in my day well actually this class i was teaching that the, the same person and we we started getting into a whole discussion of back remember we used to have pull out the letter set to do rub on letters and it was <laughs> The younger people in the class were just like, oh, these old people are just talking about all this old technology. <laughs> but amazing. I mean, you know, it's pretty. It, so today I was creating these, um, well, they're going to be tickets for a, a show that I'm involved with. 
And so I did them in Photoshop, saved the, the front of the two different versions as JPEGs. And on this website, I go to the order page and it says, upload your graphic. And within about, I would say 10 seconds, it put my graphic in their little kind of preview box Uh showing here's the crop marks. I mean, it was like almost instant and you could zoom in and go, yep, that looks right. And I was just like, that's remarkable to me that because some people would be reluctant to do training with or uh, printing, I should say, with an online company because it's like, you know, you don't see a proof like you use a physical proof. And I'm like, well, now I don't have to because their system and I think most of the labs like the, you know, just a photo printing lab are very much the same. They'll show you a preview of what you're going to get. So mm-hmm. if you've used their template, so you know you have the size right, then when you upload, there should be no worries. It should just right. come back looking the way you expect. Exactly. Also experienced that some people who've never done a lot of printing this, I know the theory, but it still just floors me every time I went to order these tickets. And because it's online, they have set numbers like 100, 250, 500. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't say I need 125 or whatever, which we did. <laughs> so I looked at the price and it was like, Five dollars for a hundred or eight dollars for five hundred. Isn't it crazy? And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we'll order now. But I don't need, we don't need five hundred tickets. But it just seems like I guess that's why a lot of people have like boxes of letterhead in their shelf that they printed at the time that they figured they might as well for that extra few yeah, dollars. Yeah, <laughs> that's you know, and that's really the difference that you see between a offset press print shop like that where your quantities are like. 100, 250, 500, 1,000, and a photo lab where you would be able to order cards right. in smaller increments of like 25 usually. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of a nice benefit. The costs are, are not always the same, but it, the numbers definitely make a lot more sense. All right. We're going to continue this discussion about Photoshop and design and type and related things in a moment. But first... It's time for the tip of the week. Here's a quick type tip for you. If you need to add some paragraph type, which normally you click and drag to create an area, but you need that paragraph type to be a specific size, hold down Option or Alt and click once and a little dialog box will come up and you can enter in the exact size you want. Click OK and now you've got a paragraph text box in the exact size you want. Whether you're new to Photoshop or a seasoned user, learningphotoshop.cc is the place to go to learn Photoshop. With award-winning instructor Dave Cross. Learningphotoshop.cc, powered by Dave Cross Workshops. All right, we're back here with Kara talking about Photoshop and design and related topics. So I'm going to switch gears on you completely here just because I like doing that. And uh, in previous interviews I've done with people, one of the things that I asked them without any warning ahead of time, (laughs) is if you found the world changed and you suddenly were in charge of Adobe, where they said, this is your new job, you get to do anything you want, what what is the first couple of things that come to mind that you would change, add, delete, whatever from Photoshop? There's some weird things about like the way the glyphs panel works and switching fonts within there is kind of a real pain. And I think Selecting type when changing the font, for example, when you've got your text highlighted and you've got your cursor up in the control panel and you're 
trying to change the typeface and I wish it would remember or pull up entire families together because mm. a lot of times I'm switching between a, a same treatment of the same font. So maybe that's sure. medium weight or light or whatever. And it'll only remember or pull up one that I clicked recently instead of just pulling up the whole family that I can change. Sure. So that would be a nice time saver. Now, what about anything from ignoring the the type side for them? Just photographically speaking, if you could tell the engineers, you need to invent a process that did X. You know, that <laughs> I actually had the opportunity about a year ago, two years ago, to sit in Adobe's office in Seattle with the Photoshop product manager and tell him these things. And <laughs> it was kind of, and I felt the same kind of way that I do now is that when I'm working in Photoshop, I could keep a list. And I often think, oh, the next time somebody <laughs> asks me, I'm going to remember this thing to answer. But um, I never write it down. I never remember. And then here you come and ask me and I can't think of a single <laughs> thing off the top of my head. <laughs> and that's perfectly, I'm sure everyone out there listening has had the same experience because I'll often be with a group of people and say, you know, what's the number one thing that bugs you about Photoshop? And they go, because uh, <laughs> when you suddenly have an opportunity to say something, it's like, I don't know. So I always encourage people, write these things down. Yes. As soon as you have a thought, write it down somewhere. Put it in your um, Evernote or something where it's yeah, like exactly. always available. <laughs> I, I need to, you've inspired me to finally do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and every so often, like I had a, a meeting with the, probably the same person and uh, was asked, they were asking about, have you come up with any more ideas? And I was like, dang it. I know. I should have known you were going to ask me I that. Know. I mean, I'm meeting with you, but it's like, I <laughs> and this have time I actually had a couple of tiny, small things that I'm like, these are really stupid, but you know, they bother me because in Photoshop, so many things are sticky, right? Mm -hmm. Where you pick a setting and then from then on, that's the new setting. But then there, there's still a few that don't. Mm -hmm. It's like puppet warp is a good example. There's an option, the options bar, I think it's called expansion or something, which takes the mesh a little outside your object and it's set to like two and I always put it to 20 and every time I go back, it's back to two it. again. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, you know, it's like the consistency of like, if you're going to make things sticky, then make them all. Sticky. Let me expect that across the board. Not some do, some don't. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's a lot of weird little things like that. You just have to make that Evernote file. I'm going to get on that. I had a, since we did, we're talking about type, I'll, pass on a suggestion because this happened to me is that I always tell people suggest that you should always be checking your settings before you use a tool because of that whole stickiness thing. But I was working with some, some type and I had entered it. And when I hit a return, there was way too much space between, I was like, Oh, I guess the mm -hmm. last time I did this, I had too much letting. So I used the keyboard shortcut to decrease the letting and it got to a certain point and it wouldn't go any further. And I was just like, I mean, I should be able to overlap the type if I wanted to mm -hmm. with really small letting. And I went into the character panel and my letting was at one. <laughs> like the type was like 15 and the letting was one. I was just like, what on earth is going on? And I only by digging, I found that in my paragraph panel, which I hardly ever go into, apparently the last time I used it, I added 15 points 
oh. uh, at the after each paragraph. Oh, so it was overriding the letting, and I was like, "Wow, that's a sticky setting that I <laughs> don't even remember doing." <laughs> yeah. So it makes a good lesson for going in and if if something unusual happens, there's got to be a reason. There's some setting somewhere. It's a matter of that's figuring, right. out, so figuring out I, where it I is. I think that's just a good lesson in general because I remember so many times in my early Photoshop days when something weird like that would happen. I was at the time too green to really know where to look or to know what the problem could be. And I remember often being like, my Photoshop is messed up. Like something about my, my particular download yeah, is like possessed. And of course, and especially I remember this w- would happen when I would be using the brush tool, for example, and and the cursor would switch between the familiar round brush circle and um, the precise crosshairs. And it (laughs) seemed to just switch like completely on its own volition. Like I could not, I'd be painting (laughs) and then suddenly I'd be like, what? It just changed. And I could not figure it out. And I would go into my preferences and confirm they were set a certain way, but now they were behaving the opposite. And then I would switch them and it, it was just a big nightmare. And I mean, this really like vexed me for months and nothing I had read on Photoshop user magazine or any of those places. um, No one was talking about this. And then somehow I literally was like, okay, I'm going to sit on my hands until I figured this out. And then I realized it was the caps lock key. And that's just one of those things where, you know, I, I guess I couldn't really blame Adobe for that. That <laughs> was me. Although I will say that that caps lock key, definitely, if you like probably did a survey of the things that have confused people, that would be up there for a lot of users. Mm-hmm. And the reasoning is, at least I'm speculating adobe's reasoning is well once you know it then it's a useful shortcut anytime you want the precise cursor and i'm thinking maybe it's just me i don't think i've ever used the precise cursor on purpose i mean i guess some people do but it's you know it's just one of those things where i'm like is it really a shortcut though or is it just something that is just there to really throw people you know what is so funny though is after i solved that little mystery i'm not kidding you like the next issue of photoshop whatever magazine that came there were like (laughs) three articles that mentioned it and i was like are you kidding me (laughs) now everyone's writing about it yeah yeah (laughs) so i i suppose people who who have not been in my classes before. I, I like to use a lot of humor, but I got to remember not to do it too early because in this class I taught last week, there were like six people and someone had run into a problem and I walked over and they said, I don't know why this is working. And I looked and I could see right away where they had just forgotten to click on the right layer. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, oh, you've broken Photoshop. <laughs> and they were like, what? And I'm like, just kidding. Uh, they, they were like actually very concerned that somehow they had done something. And it. And I said, you know what? The good part about Photoshop, you can't break it. Right. You know, you can go down a path that might cause you some grief, mm-hmm. but ultimately there, it's not possible to do things where 
it will stop working or things will go horribly wrong. It just means that whole idea of that checklist looking at things and going, oh, wait a minute, I'm on the wrong layer exactly. or I forgot to, I forgot to check my tool, tool setting. <laughs> exactly. I've seen a lot of people <laughs> doing that. They're trying to type without the type tool and they can't find their fonts. <laughs> and, you know, you got to have the type tool first. So I'm, I'm a big advocate of keyboard shortcuts mm-hmm. and uh, had in this class had told people that one of my favorite ones, because it's kind of fun in a weird way, is that the shortcut for the move tool is V, as in for the move tool. And so they were all like, oh, cool. But I forgot to mention, except if you're typing. Right. Because a couple of people were typing a <laughs> sentence and they'd, and they'd look down, they'd have like four V's at the end of their. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I still do that. Because they were thinking, <laughs> I need the move tool. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Let me be a little more specific about that shortcut. <laughs> Finalize your type first or just move it far enough away from the type that you, you'll get the move tool anyway. So on that topic, other than this caps lock key that was sort of a frustrating one, what's. <laughs> Think about a technique or a shortcut or a, something that you learned along the way that you were just like, oh, boy, if I'd only known that, you know, oh. X years ago, that would have saved me time. Like, a, what's one of the shortcuts that you now can't live without? Well, and this is a it's easier on a PC, but on a Mac, when you want to scroll through the layer blend modes, you have to have the move tool. And then you can go into the layer blend mode and select one of them and shift. uh, You're talking about the shift plus and minus. Yeah, that is a big time saver. And as far as I know, it doesn't work that way when you are in, for example, the effects. If you're in like the layer styles and effects box and you're trying to change the, the one of the blending modes in there, I've not been able to get that same... Yeah, no, it doesn't. Keyboard. It's one of, that's one of those things where that would be on my Evernote the, list. Yeah, <laughs> if you get in the habit of pressing shortcuts, that's one of those things where, and I understand from Adobe's perspective how hard it must be to do all those things. But when you, right. they're one of the things that they told me many years ago that they're aiming for consistency across the board. And it's like, overall, you're doing pretty well, but there's a few little ones here and there where it's like, oop, missed that one. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a good example. Like, if there's, there's going to be a shortcut for that, make it a shortcut wherever you are that you see that list of blend modes. And maybe like on both platforms. I mean, I'm not sure why that works, why it's so easy on a PC to just highlight the blend mode and use the arrow keys. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the Mac, it's whatever. It's like a convoluted mess. And it only happens when you have the move. (laughs) Although I'm usually fairly quick to say, um, since people like you and I make a living in part from instructing that we don't want Adobe to make it too easy or else, or else that we wouldn't have a job because people are like, I don't need you. I can figure everything out on my own. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Adobe might have a long way to go there. (laughs) Yeah. I I say that, but I honestly, I don't think we have too many worries on them, but overall that they're, they keep adding new little things that are like, wow, that's easier or that's quicker. And Mm, what do you think about the, the kind of trend, that's happening with this whole Adobe Sensei behind the scenes for things like select subject and things where they're kind of building in some attempts at artificial intelligence. Um, 
you know, it's hit and miss. It really, my experience really just depends on the project and what I'm doing. But when it works, I'm like, rad. Now I don't have to do, <laughs> now I don't have to do that. So, you know, I, I, I find myself often surprised. Sometimes I'm trying to select something that seems fairly simple and, and I feel like, oh, I can just use the smart select or whatever for this, the right. auto select. And, and then it will, totally bomb. And then other times when like, I'm not sure where I want to start. So sort of out of like a Hail Mary, I'll be like, well, we'll try this. And then it works. And I'm like, how does that happen? <laughs> I don't know. But, um, you know, I think, I think it's great when it, when it works, it's wonderful. I think, I mean, the way I look at it is anything that can save me time, even when, for example, select subject, it rarely does a perfect job. Mm -hmm but it often does a pretty darn good job considering it takes like five seconds. Right. When you think of the alternative of how else you'd have to do, I don't know, the quick selection tool or something to do it yourself, I'm always like, hey, I'll, I'll try it because I'll know within about five seconds whether it has any hope of helping me or not. Yeah. So and any, anything that can help. Sometimes I think, I know that in my early days and of Photoshop and even in also in my early days of teaching Photoshop, I think I sort of looked down on some of those automated smart kind of things because they used to not be as good for one thing. Mm -hmm. But I, and I remember when they were like the quick select wasn't always there. It used to just be the magic wand. And I remember when that came right. in, I was like, this is like dumb. Like what, how, <laughs> why would I, why would I do this? And you know, now I actually reach for it quite a bit. And <laughs> I think sometimes it's just important to keep an open mind, w w especially with new new features and new tools and, and that kind of stuff. But also maybe some tools that you've kind of like thumbed your nose at before. Maybe, right. maybe you just didn't give it a fair try or maybe you didn't know really how to use it. And some of those things well, there's that. And I, and I think the other part of that is that Adobe's always, of course, talking about the latest, greatest new feature, but often they'll kind of go back and tweak some of those tools so mm -hmm. they actually operate better than they did maybe the last time you tried it. So, right. and they don't talk about that as much because it's not as it's not exciting sexy. from a marketing <laughs> standpoint to say, hey, we fixed this tool that used to be not so good. Now it's better. <laughs> you know? right. No one really cares about that, except the people that tried to use that tool and go, oh, now, I'm, now I actually great. get good results out of that. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Now, one final thought for for someone who's trying to keep up with the new versions of Photoshop, what approach would do you take when there's a new version and you're trying to kind of get up to speed with anything that's added or improved or anything like that? Uh, well, you know, I think Adobe does a pretty great job walking people through new features and, and new tools and things, whether that's through their email or ultimately online or whatever. Um, you just kind of have to set aside time to go through and look at those things and see how people are using them and test it out. Um, sometimes, most of the time, or often, I should say, I will sort of just be like, yeah, 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 I'll figure that out when I need it. I'll reach for <laughs> it. And then I'll like see what's different. But then, you know, I overlook a lot of things because I, I didn't systematically go through. And I am one of those nerds who usually in most cases, like reads the manual for whatever kind of like electronic or whatever thing that I bought. Like I want to make sure I'm systematically 
learning it or at least exploring it so that I not necessarily that I master every aspect, but that I'm at least aware that the aspect is there in case I need it or am interested later. And so I I try to make myself do the same thing with new updates and features and tweaks, but (laughs) it doesn't always (laughs) quite happen as intended. I hear you. I mean, and it, it can be hard because the other part is that most people who are using Photoshop have a purpose, like they're trying to get something mm-hmm. done. So it's not like they can just sort of keep explore casually sit back and explore for the next hour or two. Right. Well, and a lot of people use Photoshop in a very precise, I mean, almost you could sort of put a bunch of different categories of users who use Photoshop mm-hmm. and whether that's designers or photographers or forensics experts. I mean, they're all reaching for certain tools and using them in a certain way. And sometimes they're really quite different and there's not as much overlap as you would think. And it's kind of amazing. So people tend to get sort of stuck in their little Photoshop pigeonhole or Photoshop box and you don't always have time to reach out, but it's amazing what you can find when you do. Well, and thankfully there are lots of resources, like you said, whether it's Adobe or other places that you'll often see, uh, maybe a, a class or something on, you know, what's new in Photoshop or a PDF or something. Sure. So there are certainly some resources out there. Speaking of resources, uh, if someone wanted to find out more about your training in the areas that you specialize in, what type of places can they go to find that? Yeah, well, I've got courses on Creative Live and Britain Co and Skillshare. On I've got links to all that stuff on my website, karaplichinich.com. Awesome. Well, Kara, thank you so much. This was fun to talk about something a little different than we normally do because we often tend to talk only about photography and, and editing photos. It was kind of fun to talk about type and EPS files and stuff like that. Thank you so much for for taking the time. I appreciate well, it. Well, Dave, it is a treat because back in my early days, you were someone that I used to watch all the time uh, <laughs> with your little winks you used to do at the end of your tutorials. <laughs> Some people will know what you're talking about. <laughs> so not to make you feel old or anything, but those were my early Photoshop days. So it awesome. is it's a royal treat to to get to be here talking with you now. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed that chat with Kara. I hope you did too, and that you're inspired to try some things in the world of design and typography. Now, just one thing to mention, Kara's last name, Plichinich, is actually spelled P-L-I-C-A-N-I-C. So if you're looking for her website, that's how you would spell it, karaplichinich.com. That's the place to go to find out all about Kara's training. Well, once again, thank you for listening. I do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And also, as always, if you can share it with your Photoshop using friends, that would be awesome. I really do appreciate having you as a listener. I'm Dave Cross. See you next time. Please subscribe and tell your Photoshop using friends. Find us at talkingshop.show. This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.